Good morning, Kavanaugh. Welcome to the Lord's house. We are thankful that you're here. Will you stand with us? Let's sing, Lord, do what you want to. you guys to remain standing just for a few minutes. I want to say thank you so much for joining us today. It is so good to see you guys. It's awesome to be here in this place with you all. We're excited for what God has for us today. If you're a guest, thank you for joining us today. Glad to have you. And online, thanks for tuning in. Good to see you guys. All right. We're going to ask God to bless our services today. I know he has some awesome stuff here. We just want to get all that he's got for us. Amen. Amen. All right, let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord, we love you. And again, we want you to do what you want to do today. Our lives are yours, and we just want to make sure ourselves are completely opened up to you. So God, through the message, through the continuation of our worship, God, make us into the people you want us to be. Form us and shape us into your people so we can display you and be the biggest and best light for you out in our world. We love you in your name. Amen. Hand out some air high fives. Let's continue to worship.
house today and to offer praise up to you, God. And I just pray that the praise that you hear is a pure praise and that it comes from our heart. And I pray, God, that as we lift these songs up, that it would be a sweet-smelling savor unto you and that it would be the best of our worship. And I pray, God, that if there are hearts here that are not in the right place, God, we know that you can switch them and we know, God, that you can speak to them and through them. And I pray, God, that you would use Brother Will as a vessel to do that today. I'm so thankful for your goodness, God. I'm so thankful that you come chasing after us with that goodness. I'm thankful for this church, God, that it's a place that we can come and we can offer this praise up to you and we can refuel and we can get ready to run our race again. I'm so thankful for your love and for your kindness and for your mercy and for your grace and most of all, God, for your salvation. And I pray that if there's anyone here today that doesn't know you as their one and true Savior, that they would come and they would claim that. And it's all these things, God, that I lift up to you in your precious name, Jesus. for the goodness and the mercy of God. Say amen really loud. Huh? Amen. amen. Thank you. That was great. I love it. I love it. Welcome to the Lord's house for you who are in person. Glad you're here. And for those watching online, thanks again for watching online. Well, today is the fifth Sunday that we've been in the book of Jonah. Uh, we're on mission with God, just like Jonah. And every Sunday for five weeks now, I've had you stand and read the mission statement from Kavanaugh Church. Today's no different, so let's stand back up. You're getting your exercise this morning, that's for sure. And we're going to read together the mission of Kavanaugh Church, which is very closely associated with the great commission that God has given us as believers and as the church universal. So read this with me out loud. Here we go. At Kavanaugh Church, our mission is to win people to Christ to train believers to become disciples and send disciples out to impact the world. And Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to do this, to accomplish the task that you have laid before us. Lord, give us a heart for people. May we see the world as you see the world. May we pursue people with this divine quest of reaching them with the good news of Jesus. And when we see them saved, Lord, help us to train them to become the disciples that follow Jesus with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then collectively as a church, Lord, send us back out into the world so that we can turn our world upside down with the good news of Jesus Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thanks. You can be seated. We are intentionally trying to implement this mission statement in our church, winning people to Christ, training believers to become disciples, and then sending these disciples as an army back out into the world to impact our world for Jesus Christ. We want to be on mission with God. And, and we're learning that from the book of Jonah. So open your Bibles with me to Jonah chapter 3. What an amazing story this is. It's the story of this prophet by the name of Jonah who is called by God to be on mission with God. God said to Jonah, go. And Jonah said to God, no. <laughs> he didn't want to at first. 
And so he ran as far away from God as he possibly could, went to Joppa, bought a ticket on a ship going to Tarshish, which was the furthest known point in the world at that time. But here's the good news. God didn't give up on Jonah because God is training Jonah to be the disciple that God wants him to be. So the Bible tells us that God hurled a storm down onto the sea that caused this tremendous storm. These veteran sailors were afraid for their lives. They started throwing cargo overboard, but it was to no avail. Jonah finally confessed, if you want this sea to cease from its raging, you need to throw me overboard. And that's what they did. They chunked Jonah overboard and the seas calmed down. But God wasn't through with Jonah. You know, he should have died. I mean, being thrown in the middle of a raging sea, he, he should have died. But God sent a submarine to save him in the form of a big fish. Now, Jonah may not have thought it was much of a rescue, but I'm telling you that fish did save his life. And Jonah survived in the belly of the big fish for how long? Three days and three nights. Well, God directed that big fish after three days and three nights to spit or vomit, depending on which translation you're reading out of, Jonah out on dry land. And some scholars believe that the very spot that Jonah got vomited out onto was the very beach where he started running from God. That's a kick in the head, isn't it? If that really is the way it was. It, it, it's almost as if God is saying to Jonah, all right, buddy, let's try this again. All right? Let's give it another shot. In fact, that is exactly what he says in chapter 3. Let's look at verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the what? Second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I'm going to give you. What we see here in this passage is nothing less than the grace of God. Literally, second chance grace. I'm going to let that sink in because that's a pretty good little phrase right there. Second chance grace. How many of you have ever needed a good dose of God's second chance grace? Well, that is exactly what he's giving to Jonah, the second chance grace of God. Wow, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now, let me talk just a moment about second chance grace. Second chance grace was given for God's disobedient servant and his disobedient people. Specifically here, it's brother Jonah. Again, verse 1, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise. That message that God has for Jonah is virtually an exact repeat of what God told him in the beginning, chapter 1, verse 2. And what did he say there? Jonah, arise. What is he saying here in chapter 3? Jonah, arise. In other words, the Lord is saying to Jonah, Jonah, get up, stand up, shake the dust off of you, shake the sand off of you, peel the seaweed from your head, and let's do this again. Hmm. Well, the gracious God gave his disobedient servant a second chance, but there's also second chance grace for the world's despairing masses specifically the people of Nineveh. He said in verse 2, Arise, Jonah, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I will give you. God has a heart for the perishing inhabitants of Nineveh. As wicked as they were, as vile as they were, God had a message of hope for them that would either mean life or death. And God is holding out hope for that great city. You know why? God loves people. People matter to God. And what we see happening here in Jonah chapter 3 is this incredible story of revival that swept across the entire city of Nineveh. Something that is absolutely 
unlikely or perhaps even unprecedented in world history is happening here. An entire city repents and turns to God. Now, let me try to say this in a way that we can grasp it or understand it. Chapter 4 tells us that 120,000 plus people lived in Nineveh. There are 88,000 people that live in Fort Smith proper. But if you take all the people who live in Van Buren or Alma or Barling or the little surrounding communities of Fort Smith, we call that the River Valley. If you take all of the population and add it up, you've got about 120,000 people. So what we're talking about is something close to what we see around us every day, 120,000 plus people. But they were completely wicked. There were no churches in Nineveh. The good news of God's message had not been preached there. Every person was lost in their trespasses and sin, and they were practicing evil and wicked deeds every single day of their life. It was a dark place. But all of a sudden in chapter 3, when God's servant went and preached to them, the whole city repented. Everyone got right with God. All 120,000 plus of them. Now, again, just close your eyes for a second and imagine the River Valley. We do have churches. There are some good people here. But there's still a lot of wicked people around as well. Just try to imagine for a second in the River Valley, there were no churches, there were no good people, everyone was vile and wicked here, but all of a sudden, through the preaching of one person, everyone repented. How would that change the fabric of our city? You think about that. Man, what is happening here is unprecedented in world history and even in the Bible. This is a huge revival that rocked their world. You see, when God's second chance grace brings revival, we see several components playing themselves out. And the first one is this. There is a divine pursuit going on in Jonah chapter 3. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. Now, again, I'm going to repeat this. I said it a couple of weeks ago. The hero of the book of Jonah is not Jonah. The hero of this story is not the big fish. <laughs> the hero in this story is God. All of this begins with, it starts with God. Here is a city that is not the least bit concerned about doing the will of the Lord. Here is a city that was one of the most evil and vile and reprobate cities in the history of the world. And here is a city that even though they are so evil, they are being pursued by Almighty God. God has his eye of repentance on them. And that's the way God's love works. God loves people. God cares about people. Look at Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still living, while we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins, God loved us. God cares about us. Now, I've said this a couple of times, and if you come back next Sunday, you're going to see it play itself out. Oh, Jonah, he, he had some issues. He had some real problems. He, he hated the people of Nineveh. He had a great prejudice against them. You talk about being a racist. Jonah was a racist. He didn't care about, he wanted the Ninevites to, to perish. He wanted them to die. Why? Because they didn't stand for anything he believed in. He, he, he just wanted them annihilated. He thought the world would be better without them because they were so wicked. And before we judge O Jonah too hard, let's just stop and think about this. Have you ever thought something like that? I mean, there are a lot of bad people out in the world today, and you know what? Our world would be better without them. So have you ever just thought, you maybe said a little prayer, God, just take care of them. Just, just wipe them off of the face of the earth. Annihilate them. That was, that was what Jonah felt. But you know what? 
I'm so thankful God is not like Jonah, nor is God like you or me. God cares about people. And stop and think about what would happen if you and I began to see people around us every day in this light. That if to understand God is pursuing them, God loves them, God wants to forgive them, God wants to have a relationship with them. Think about that annoying neighbor who lives, I don't know, across the street or down the street. At least a hundred times you've wanted to go down there and tell that neighbor what you think about him. Don't look at me like that. You know what I'm talking about. Think, think about this. God is pursuing your neighbor. You may not think a lot of them, but God does. And God wants to have a relationship with them just like he has with you. Think, think about that woman in your office that is sleeping around with everybody else or that girl at school who is promiscuous and sleeping around and everybody's gossiping about her. Everybody is talking about her and not to her. I want you to know that God loves her. And God is pursuing her. And God wants to have a relationship with her. So what if we stop looking at her like everybody else is looking at her and we start looking at her like God looks at her? You think that would make a difference for her? Hmm? Or think about that child, that teenager, whether they be in your own home or in somebody's home that you know that is rebellious. They're rebelling against authority. They're rebelling against what is right. They're doing so many things that are not only bringing harm to themselves, but they are now harming other people because of their bad habits. Did you know that God is pursuing them? Because he loves them. And he cares for them. Think about how different our, your world would be if you started seeing people like God sees people. The Bible says that the big deal is not that we loved God. No, the big deal is that God loved us. And God pursued us. And what I see happening in the book of Jonah, and specifically here in chapter, chapter 3, is that God is pursuing people that he loves God sent his own son to make an atonement for our sins. Why? Because God loved us. Number two, y'all like the way I count? I'm not going to say anything about it. But number two, there is truth that is being proclaimed here. God's love always comes with a message attached to it. Just like first service... I spent a lot of time writing that one sentence, so somebody at least say, Amen. God's love always comes with a message attached to it. Verse 2, Jonah, I want you to go and preach to Nineveh the message that I will tell you. And the message, the truth, is to be proclaimed. Now, let me distinguish between ministering to people and Telling people the good news. We all know that it's good and to go and to show love to people, right? It's good to go do good deeds. It's good to feed hungry people. It's good to clothe naked people. We need to be doing that. When we go on missions trips, we go to help people. Every Monday, we give food boxes out to help people who are in need. And God has called us to do that, correct? As a church, we are to be about that. We are to make our world better by helping people, correct? Are you with me? So I say amen to all the good that we do. It's great to go and to build relationships. But you know what? If we stop right there and all we do are good deeds for other people, we have done those people a grave injustice because those good deeds in and of themselves will not change their hearts. What changes the human heart is the message of the Word of God. There is power in the Word of God. There is power to change people's lives. Look at it from the Word of God. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the what? Power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also 
to the Greek. God uses the preaching and the hearing of the message of the gospel to quicken our faith and to change our lives. Romans chapter 10 verse 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So we need to be doing good. I, I say this all the time. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So before you go preach to them, help them. Show them how much you care. And make it come from a genuine heart that you really care about these people. But don't stop with just doing something good for people. Share with them the news that can transform their life. And change them from the inside out. Truth must be proclaimed. And then number three, for all this to happen, for revival to come, you've got to have some surrendered servants. We see this in verse three. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city. It was a three-day journey in extent. By the way, we get a little insight to the greatness of this city by ancient standards here because archaeologists tell us that Nineveh was surrounded by two concentric walls. The inner wall was about 50 feet thick and about 100 feet tall. Apparently, bad people lived in that land and they, they wanted to protect themselves from it. It, it would take a, a trip of eight miles to go around that inner wall. And the outer wall would have been even greater in length. So you can see why a visit required three days to take the whole tour. And we are told that Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord. Verse number four, and Jonah began to enter the city on the very first day's walk. Let me stop right there and say this about Jonah. I don't think Jonah's heart is right here. Okay, he, he's doing this because he just spent three days and three nights in the whale motel. <laughs> he's doing this because he realizes, you know what, I better be doing what God has told me to do. It's better to do the will of God than to be outside of the will of God. Because I failed the first examination and I've had to take that test again and it's harder the second time. So he is doing what God told him to do, but we're going to find out in chapter 4 next week that he's still not doing it out of the right heart. There's still a division between him and the Lord, but let me say right now, at least he's doing what God told him to do. Are you with me? At least he's doing what the Lord told him to do. At least he is a surrendered servant. His heart may not have been in it, but he was doing it. And he cried out and said, Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Now it's pretty interesting to me that this is probably one of the shortest messages ever recorded in the Bible. Eight words in the English language. Callie, it's only six in the Hebrew. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. But you know what we see in that very short message? We see the grace of God smeared all over it. God is giving these people a period of grace so that they can repent before judgment falls on them. They were living in a grace bubble. I've got to stop right now and say, you know what? We are living in grace as well. This is a period of grace that we are in. God has given you a period of grace so that you can repent and come to God. I, I have people tell me all the time, well, God could never forgive me. I've done too many bad things. And I say to them, listen, dude, if you're still alive and breathing, there's time for you to repent, and you can. Because God is extending his grace period to you. But it's like that one fella who came to me after one sermon at the altar years ago and he said preacher I've heard the preaching of the gospel years and years and years and I've never given my life to God but God told me today standing right back there that this is my last shot at it my grace is about gone and he said so I'm coming and, and giving my heart to Jesus at least he saw that grace was ending in his life and he repented 
I'm speaking to a group of people here today who have heard the gospel of Jesus presented time after time. I would say that 99.9% of you in this room are listening online. You have heard the gospel before. The Spirit has drawn you to Jesus Christ, but you've never said yes. You've always resisted that call, or you've always rejected the call of God in your life. Do you realize that it is purely the grace of God that is giving you another chance today to repent? You say, oh, preacher, I don't like you using that word repent. I I hate to hear the word judgment. You know what? I'm not presenting the whole counsel of God unless I use words like repent and judgment. Because just like for Nineveh, judgment is coming to us. Not only to our nation, but judgment is coming to you personally. Right now, though, God is giving you another chance. A second chance to get your heart right with God. Surrendered servants need to be speaking the truth. You've got a chance today to repent. Hmm. Amen? Amen. Next we see broken hearts. After the preaching of the good news, their hearts were broken. Verse 5, so the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least, from the richest to the poorest, from the peasants to those prominent in society. And the first evidence of faith in a person's life is repentance. When God gets a hold of a person's life, the first thing they do is repent of their sins. These people believed God's word to them. They understood the consequences if they did not repent, and so they repented. Again, let me sum up what's happened so far in chapter 3. You've got a brief message that is only eight words in the English language or six words in the Hebrew language preached by a surrendered servant And it had enormous power. As short as that message was, there was power in that message. The word of God preached faithfully by a yielded servant is powerful. God's word changes lives. It's not in me. It's not in you. It's the power of the word of God. I believe that one verse can change a person's life. We have it recorded here. A message of eight words caused an entire city to come to God. Now look at verse number six. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne. He laid aside his robe. He covered himself with sackcloth. He sat in ashes. In other words, the message came to the king's palace, and he heard, and he repented. He is showing mourning and grieving in his spirit over his own wickedness. But but he didn't stop there. Look at verse number 7. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. So what is the king calling for? A citywide fast. He's saying, you know what, I don't know. Maybe God will relent. Maybe God will forgive. Let us fast and let us repent. Do you see that this revival didn't start with the king? It started with the people. And it made its way up to the palace. I've been thinking about that all week long as I've been writing this sermon. And I thought of us and in regards to our own nation. I have... 2020 is an unbelievable year. How many times have you heard me say that? It's crazy. Not only the pandemic, but the the craziness in our world and in our land and what we're seeing in cities across America, just the craziness that's going on here and and the changes that need to be made in our land. And, And what we think is, you know what? We want Washington to change our country. Doesn't happen that way. If, if, if we leave it up to whoever is in Washington, it ain't going to get better. It's only going to get worse. 
Just like in this passage, for real change to take place, it's got to change in your heart first. You've got to go through a process of change. And it happens one person at a time. And as we change and give our lives to Jesus, it spreads across the land and hopefully eventually makes its way to Washington. So hearts are being broken all over this city. And the result of that is changed lives. The king's declaration included not just fasting and brokenness. He is calling for the people of his city to repent. Look at verse 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let all of us cry mightily to God. Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Let's stop being evil. Let's stop being wicked. Let's get our lives right. You know what this is a snapshot of? Revival taking place. World change happening in the lives of people. This revival is, is somewhat unprecedented in, in Jonah chapter 3. I don't know of anything that's happened like it in the history of the world. The last great revival we had in our world happened in 1904. It's called the 1904 Welsh Revival. And even though that was 96 years ago, it, it was a tremendous revival. It, it happened in Wales. They didn't keep very good records back then, but a conservative estimate is over 150,000 people were converted and gave their lives to Jesus during the first six months of this revival. So it not only changed individual lives, it changed towns and cities, and ultimately it transformed Welsh society. What do I mean by that? When this revival occurred, pubs, y'all know what a pub is, don't you? A tavern or a bar or a honky-tonk or whatever you want to call it. Before this revival took place, the pubs were full and the churches were empty. When this revival happened, however, the pubs closed. <laughs> Nobody went and got plastered anymore. Crime went to zero. Now think about that. Crime went to nothing. Wouldn't that be amazing? The dark tunnels underground in the coal mines echoed with the sounds of prayer and hymns instead of curses and coarse jokes and gossip. People who had been careless about paying their bills settled their debts and they paid all that they owed. Long-time interpersonal feuds were settled. Police officers all of a sudden had nothing to do. <laughs> so quite literally what they did was help the masses as they made their way to churches. Magistrates would go to court and they would have no court docket. Nothing to do. In fact, there's a famous cartoon. I searched diligently for it and couldn't find it. But there's this, this famous cartoon that showed a magistrate being presented a pair of white gloves, which simply meant there were no cases to try. And the magistrate said, what's the meaning of this? To which the clerk replied, revival, sir. It's revival. That is amazing. That's what happens when the word of God is preached and people listen, they hear the Holy Spirit works and lives are changed. Changed lives. How do we make this world a better place? One person at a time. And it comes through the preaching of the good news of the gospel. I have one last component that really ties everything together. And it is the mercy of God. Mercy is given here. The king of Nineveh thinks in verse number 9, who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? I, I don't know, people. Let's, let's do our part. And maybe, just maybe, God is going to relent. Maybe God will forgive. We know what's going to happen if, he, if we don't. We're going to be judged and annihilated. But perhaps through our repentance... God will relent. 
That is a passionate cry from this king. Not only for his own life, but for his people. Did you know, I believe that is the longing of every human heart? Because God made us that way. There is something inside of us that longs to be right with God. People of this world, they they don't grasp it. They can't get it. And they try these synthetic substitutes that never satisfy. It's only God that can satisfy the longing of your heart. And that comes through his grace and mercy. Verse 10 is the final verse of the chapter. So you know what that means. (laughs) We're almost there. Hang with me. Then God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way. And God, what? He relented from the disaster that he had said he would bring upon them. And he didn't do it. You know what that is? (laughs) That's mercy. That's the grace of God. God relented. The word actually means to be comforted, to find relief from sorrow and distress, and so be encouraged. This is a snapshot of mercy running to you. Everybody look at me just for a second, would you? Just look at me. Because i got a word for you this morning. What you need, what you need more than anything else. Those watching online, what you need is a big old dose of God's mercy. You don't need his judgment. You don't want his judgment. You need his mercy. I told, Keenan, I told the first service this story. I've told y'all before, but it's, it's worth repeating. I'm not going to promise this is the last time I'll tell this story. I may tell it again in the future, but it means a whole lot to me because it happened to me. And it's the day I met the judge. A long time ago, we were in Pine Bluff, pastoring in Pine Bluff. Kylie's before you were born. You didn't get to experience Pine Bluff. Zane, you didn't get it either. Whitney got a little dose of Pine Bluff. but It all happened on a Saturday night, Sunday morning. I was supposed to go to Bryan, Texas and preach a revival at Bill Jones's church, the Fellowship Free Will Baptist Church. It started on Sunday morning. I would have loved to have left earlier on Saturday, but I had a wedding to do Saturday night, so I did the wedding And it was late at night before I took off. And so I drove through the night from Pine Bluff, Arkansas to Bryan, Texas. And I was almost there. Probably, I don't know, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Almost made my destination. I had one little bitty town to go through. A little hole in the wall before I made it to Bryan and my final destination. I'd been driving all night and I was tired and didn't have much time to sleep. And I had to preach that, that day just in a few hours. And so, man, I was barreling through that little town. But that little town in Texas is much like all the little towns over here in Oklahoma. (laughs) It was a speed trap. And I can remember thinking this. This is a long time ago, close to 30 years ago. But I can remember thinking to myself, you know what? Everybody in this town is asleep. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. So even though I slowed down a little bit, I was still exceeding the speed limit. And you know what? Everybody in town was asleep, except for Barney Fife. He was in his patrol car behind a dumpster, and he shot that radar gun at me, and guess what? He pulled, he had the audacity to pull me over and give me a big old fat ticket. He said, down at the bottom, you'll see the name of the judge you need to contact, and you'll have to stand before. I looked at it, and it was a female judge, a lady judge. And I thanked him for his gift to me. I went on and got a couple hours sleep, preached that next day. And right after church, Brother Bill and his wife Joy uh, took me to eat at a deacon's house. And this was the head deacon of the church. He was a great older gentleman, very nice. And and he said, Will, I I heard you had to drive through the night last night. Tell me about your trip. (laughs) And so I told him about my trip and about the little... uh, difficulty I had and the officer that I had met and he said what town was that in and I named the town and he said do, do you happen to have that ticket with you could I see the ticket and I had it in my wallet so I pulled it out and gave it to him and he looked at it and he said yep that's just exactly what I thought I know that judge she was my daughter's best friend they grew up together I practically raised that girl 
He handed the ticket back to me and said, when you call her tomorrow, just tell her that you know me. I said, really? He said, yes, she owes me a favor. <laughs> so the next morning, with a little bit of encouragement, I called this judge, and it took forever to get her on the line. And finally, when she got on the line, I told her my predicament and, and uh, that I had this ticket and that, that we had a mutual friend. <laughs> and I called him by name. And then there was this long pause. And I literally thought that we got disconnected. And after the long pause, she said, Mr. Harmon, what exactly is it you want from me? Mm. <laughs> wow. What do you say? Here's what I said. Well, I certainly don't want judgment because I'm guilty. I was speeding. And I deserve the ticket. So I guess what I'm asking you for is a little bit of mercy. Again, there was a pause. And she said, Mr. Harmon, I'm going to give you mercy this time, but don't you ever speed in Texas again. <laughs> you know what? I would never, ever make light of either the judgment of God or the mercy of God. Amen. And can I tell you this morning, you don't want his judgment. You need his mercy. And as Phillips, Craig, and Dean used to sing, mercy came a-running to me, and it's running to you. Heavenly Father, I pray that today we would receive this second chance grace that you offer. I pray that we would receive the mercy that you're giving us today. Lord, for that person in this room or listening online that needs to receive God's grace and mercy today, I pray, dear Lord, that we would reach out and receive the gift that you are giving to us. Help us to receive the gift with thankfulness. Help us to live for you and do your will. Thank you for grace and mercy. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. And I'm going to ask that you stand with heads bowed and eyes closed. Uh, because of COVID, we can't have people come and pray at the altar. So I'm asking that you make an altar right where you're standing. Let, let that be your place of surrender and sacrifice. And those watching online, would you do the same thing? Just stand up wherever you are and bow your head. Do you need God's mercy today? Do you need his second chance grace? Friend, he's extending it to you. Would you receive it? Just by praying a simple prayer, yes, Lord, I receive your grace and your mercy. Forgive me of my sins. I repent of my transgresses. Come into my life and change me today. Maybe, maybe you've done that before. Maybe you've accepted Christ before. But you know what? Today... If you were pressed against it, you would have to say, you know, I really haven't been living for the Lord. I haven't been doing his will, his way. I, I haven't been following him. I, I've not been walking the path of a disciple. And I need God's second chance grace to be the person he's called me to be. If that's you, just ask him. He'll give it to you just like he gave the people of Nineveh. He'll give you his mercy and his grace. Thank you, Lord for grace, mercy, and forgiveness. Let it just fall on us today. Help us to be grateful that we are people of grace and mercy. Thank you, dear Jesus, for all that you've done, all you're doing, and all you're going to do. Help us to live surrendered lives in your service. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated just for a couple of quick announcements, and uh, then I'll let you go. Uh, right before you get up and leave, make sure you put your mask back on as you walk through the hallways. And when you walk through these doors, we have these new black boxes out there, a little slit in the top. That's for your offering. So you can drop your tithe and offering in that black box, or you can give online uh, at kavanaughchurch.com. Tonight, tune in at 6 o'clock. 
Uh, you'll be able to see Brother Johnny and Kids Church from last week. So gather your kids around and watch that. Then at 6.30 on Facebook Live, we're going to have the adult Bible study class. Uh, Brother Paul Hamilton, who attends our first service, is going to teach a lesson on attitude. And I think we all need to watch that, all right? So uh, please tune in for that. Come back Wednesday night. Uh, we have something for all ages meeting on Wednesday, and that crowd continues to grow. Teens are digging it. They're loving it. They're meeting in the big gym. Johnny's got all the kids back in uh, kids' territory, and all the adults are going to be in here. Remember this week that we are on mission with God. And our mission is to win people to Christ to train believers to become disciples, and then we are to go back out into the world and make an impact for Jesus Christ. I love you. The staff loves you. Most of all, God loves you. Have a great day. We'll see you Wednesday.